We're here to inspire, inform, and connect entrepreneurs and high achievers. Welcome to Results Radio with the number one results coach in the country, Sean Shuchuk. Sean is as focused on your results as you are. Visit our website at www.yourresultsradio.com and take advantage of the free tips and gifts. Plus, get your copy of the best-selling results journal developed by the number one results coach in the country. With you in mind, it is the most powerful achievement tool used by high achievers today. Here is the host of Results Radio, Sean Shuchuk. Good afternoon again, everybody. It's Sean Shuchuk from Change Your Results. We have something really special for you today, as some of you have seen in our emails. If you have uh, gone to the website, Start Meeting, you can download the app and you can listen in online. Uh, you can send questions in if anyone has questions. When we do a Q&A uh, a little further along, uh, please do uh, send it an email if you're not online or you can get to your email. It's Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at changeyourresults.com or in the Start Meeting app. Uh, so we're going to get right to things. We've got with us uh, Bob Berg, uh, best-selling author of The Go-Giver, and, uh, and a brand-new book. And so I want to just quickly go through something here with you. Um, this, is, this is really, I, I found interesting, as I read the book, uh, I think it speaks to a lot of what we as, as business people and individuals even uh, sometimes maybe don't, don't focus on or aren't focused on or aren't aware of. And I use the term from time to time, maybe even asleep at the wheel. And uh, I just, I'll quickly go through a quick little introduction here. Can you really systematically and consistently get the results you want from others while making them feel genuinely good about themselves, about the process, and about you? Our guest says absolutely. Bob Berg is a sought-after speaker at corporate conventions and for entrepreneurial events. He regularly addresses audiences ranging in size from 50 to 16,000, sharing from the platform with notables including, including today's top thought leaders, broadcast personalities, Olympic athletes, and political leaders, including a former United States president. Although for years he was best known for his book, Endless Referrals, over the past few years in his business parable, The Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann, that has captured the heart and imagination of his readers. It shot to number six in Wall Street's journal, uh, Wall Street Journal's bestseller list in just three weeks after its release and reached nine, number nine on Business Weeks. Since its release, it has consistently stayed in the top 25 on 800 CEO Reads' best bookseller list. It's been translated into 21 languages, and it is his fourth book to sell over 250 copies. He believes in his new book, Adversaries and Allies, Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion, is by far his most important work yet. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He is also an unapologetic animal fanatic and serves as a member of the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption Clinic in Jupiter, Florida. So please welcome, if you will, with me, Mr. Bob Berg. Good afternoon, my friend. Good afternoon, Sean. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you for being with us today. I very much appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Awesome. Well, I have a few questions for you, if you don't mind, and it kind of has to do with your book. The title of your book is really interesting, Adversaries and Allies. Uh, are you saying that everyone and anyone who in any way disagrees with you is an enemy? 
<laughs> it kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? But uh, no, not really. It could be in this case an adversary could be a very nice person. It just happens to be that the um, the context of the situation, the position they're in, they're standing in the way of your satisfaction. It could be the uh, person at the customer service desk where you need to return an item and you maybe forgot your receipt and they have a strict policy, no returns without without receipts. And, and, and this person may be a nice person, but just not equipped to really know how to work in that situation to find the solution. So you need to be able to work with him in a way that's patient and respectful so that you attain the results you want while making him feel good about himself. It could be the boss from whom you want to raise. And you might love your boss, but in this case, he or she is in an adversarial position if they're not wanting to give you a raise. So I really look at an adversary in this case much the same way that the great Japanese baseball home run hitter Sadaharu Oh used to look at his opposing pitchers. He, he, was, he was quoted as saying, I never saw the opposing pitcher as my adversary, <clears throat> excuse me, but rather as my partner in hitting home runs. And I always thought that was a great way to look at it. So I prefer to see our adversaries as our partners in attaining satisfaction and also as our partners in personal growth, uh, you know, al- allowing us to grow in order to be able to to handle people who, who may be a potential challenge for us, but to do it in such a way that everyone comes out ahead. Thank you. That, that's, I like that. The partners, uh, partners aspect of it, I think, really uh, gives it a, a, different, a different look or different perspective. Yeah, different frame, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, let me ask you a question, and maybe just a little off the cuff. If I'm a small business person today in, in North America, how, looking at it you know, in, in, the, in that light as a partner, as an adversary, as, as a partner, how can that influence what happens in my business, how my business can grow. And we referenced results and we were at the beginning of the, of, of the interview. How can that impact my results, at least in a positive way? Well, when you think of it, influence at its most basic is nothing more than the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a a specific goal. Now, the essence of influence is not push, right? We don't want to be pushy. We don't want to try to get our way by pushing others. We hear of salespeople being pushy. That's not how to do it correctly and effectively. When you think of it, John, the essence of influence is pull, it's an attraction. Great influencers attract people to themselves and to their ideas. Now, in the selling process, and every entrepreneur, small business owner, uh, you've got to, to obviously be able to sell. So let's ask ourselves the question, what is selling? So many people think of selling as something that it's not. They think it's trying to, 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 to convince people to do something, to buy something they don't want or need. No, selling's just the opposite of that. At its most basic, selling is simply discovering, determining what somebody wants, needs, or desires, and helping them to get it. Uh, One of my great friends, a a very, very successful business person and entrepreneur, Sean Woodruff, says a professional salesperson simply connects or matches the benefits of their product or service with the wants, needs, or desires of their prospect. So when we're talking about influence, what we're really talking about here is the essence of, of free market capitalism, and that is pleasing the other person. <laughs> because remember, in a free market, uh, nobody has to buy from you. They're certainly not going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet or want to uh, you know, make a certain commission. They're going to buy from you because they feel it's more beneficial to do that than it is to keep the money 
that they're exchanging it for. So in terms of, of, of influence in this regard, that's really what it is. And you do that, but you find out what they want by asking the right questions to determine their needs and then helping to fulfill them. So are you saying perhaps then, Bob, that the focus shifts a little bit from what it might currently be for, for some of us? Oh, sure. I, you know, when we talk about the go-giver, that, the whole essence, the, the uh, premise, if you will, of, of the go-giver, my, my last book, which you were kind enough to mention, was simply that shifting one's focus, and that's again, you just said it, great, shifting one's focus from, from getting to giving, and in that case, what we were talking, when we said giving, we meant constantly and consistently providing value to others, is not only a nice way to live life, it's a financially profitable way as well. Money, money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder to the value's lightning, which, which means nothing more than that the value must come first. And the money is simply a very natural and direct result of the value you've provided. So again, the key in any type of influence, again, in a basically free marketplace where, where the person doesn't have to buy from you, they're going to only do so because they feel it's of benefit to do so. You've got to please the customer, the prospect. You've got to find out what they need and then simply help them to get it. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Let's say I, I work for somebody, Bob. I'm an employee. And can't my boss just tell me what I have to do? Um, you know, if I don't do what they tell me, I'm, they're just going to fire me likely anyway. Yeah, well, the question is, can, can you lead like that? Can you influence like that? Well, sure, you can. But is that really... Uh, is that really the most productive way to do it? Now, I mean, what, what that is really, that's compliance. And the, the challenge for any leader or influencer at trying to lead or influence through compliance is that, it, which really is nothing more than force or intimidation, is that at be- typically, at best, the person is going to, you know, the employee is going to do exactly what they're told and not one bit more. Now, that's at best. At worst, they'll find a way to sabotage the process completely, either consciously or, or unconsciously. But again, that's compliance. The opposite of compliance is what? It's commitment. And when you've got commitment from your employees and so forth, that's a whole different story. And this commitment is practically always a result of the influencer, the leader or influencer, not only understanding but embracing what I believe was Dale Carnegie's most brilliant point of all in his, his brilliant, brilliant landmark bestseller, How to Win Friends and Influence People, where he wrote, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. So the great influencer constantly questions themselves. How does what I'm asking this person to do, how does that align with their goals, with their wants, their needs, their desires? Yes, even your employees, uh, your salespeople, your so forth, uh, everyone on your team. How does what I'm asking, how, how does what I want this other person to do align with their values? And when asking ourselves these questions intelligently and and authentically, not as a way to manipulate another person to do our will, but as a way to help build that other person as well. We've gone a long way toward earning that commitment. And Sean, one of my great friends and mentors, her name is Dondi Scumachi, one of the wisest people I know. And, and she says, and I absolutely love this, she says, compliance will never take you where commitment can go. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Well said, and thank you. I think I, I and maybe uh, 
this is how I, I kind of look at things too. You know, it's, there's a difference between taking initiative and taking orders. Yeah, when you're um, committed, you'll take initiative. When yeah. when it's oh, compliance, yeah. you'll wait until you're ordered, and then you'll do the least possible uh, okay. that you can. You uh, you've said uh, and you've claimed, I guess there's there's big difference between persuasion and manipulation. Uh, is there actually a difference? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's interesting because again, it, it it both they both go back to to influence, which is just being able to move a person to a desired action. You can do so in one of two ways: you can manipulate them, or you can persuade them. Persuasion is very positive. Uh, manipulation is negative, but the two are related. They're they're cousins because let's face it, both the manipulator and the persuader, they both have an understanding, whether learned or or natural. They both have an understanding of what motivates other people, of how you know, of how human beings work, why they take action. Now. I used to be asked the question all the time, what's, you know, Berg, what's the difference between manipulation and persuasion? And I, I never felt I answered it correctly. And I, I subscribe to the saying that if you can't uh, explain something succinctly, uh, there's a good chance you don't really understand it yourself. So I went on a quest to really find what I, you either make up or, or, or find out what was the de- you know a, a great definition? I didn't make one up because I, I I'm not that good. <laughs> so it's uh, so I really had to kind of find out. And I, I was reading a book. It was actually written in 1987 by a man named Dr. Paul W. Sweats. And the title of the book was The Art of Talking So That People Will Listen, which was actually much more about listening than it was talking. It was, uh, it was a very brilliant book. And I thought he did the best job possible, far better than I ever did, of, of coming up with a, a difference between the two. And what Dr. Sweat wrote was that manipulation aims at control, not cooperation. It does not consider the good of the other party. It tends to result in a win-lose situation. In stark contrast to the manipulator, uh, the persuader, according to Dr. Sweats, always seeks to enhance the self-esteem of the other party. The result is that people respond better because they're treated as responsible or response-able self-directing individuals. I think that's a big difference. It begins with intent, but that's not where it ends. See, that both the, the manipulator and the persuader can both cause people, elicit people, to take immediate action on something. But that's where it ends, because once you know you've been manipulated, you're always going to be wary of that person. You're not going to trust that person. You're going to avoid that person. Or if you have to work with that person, again, you're going to do the minimum amount that you have to. Uh, you're you're, you're going to be very wary of the manipulator. Once you've been persuaded, though, by a positive persuader, hey, you're, you're much more likely to buy in to any future suggestions because the persuader wants you to, to, to come out ahead as well. See, the manipulator may not want to hurt the other person. They just don't care if they do, if it, if it ends up that that's what needs to happen for them to get their way. They're very I-focused or me-focused. So they'll do whatever it takes. They'll win it at any cost, as the, as the saying goes. A, a, a persuader will not do that. A persuader, for them to get what they want, they must help that other pe- person get what they want or at least feel good about the transaction. So you know, I, I always say a, a manipulator can have employees, but very rarely a committed group. Uh, a manipulator can, can make sales, but we know plenty of salespeople who unfortunately use manipulation to make the sale. They typically do not have happy customers. They typically don't have repeat customers, and they rarely, if ever, have 
referral sources. And a manipulator can have a family, and they can have a family who they love and who loves them, but very rarely is it a functional family. So not only is, is manipulation not good business practice, it's not good life practice. Well put. Thank you for that. Uh, let's talk about um, the five principles of ultimate influence, if you will. Uh, what are they? And uh, let's, I guess, discuss them individually. And number one, you say control your own emotions. Sounds obvious, but I guess, what, what do you mean by that? Well, and it is obvious. Uh, it's where it all begins because it's, it's only when you can control your own emotions that you're even in a position where you can take a potentially negative situation or person and uh, create the environment where a win can, can take place for everyone involved. When you're not in control of your emotions, you tend to be very reactive you tend to, to act in ways that are counterproductive. And let's face it, as human beings, we're basically emotional people. Uh, we like to think we're logical, and then we are to a certain point, but we're very emotional, um, emotion-driven. We know we buy based on emotion. We back up our emotional decisions with logic. We rationalize, which is to tell ourselves rational lies <laughs> to justify the emotional decision. But when I say emotion here also, I'm also I'm talking about the, the fact that people can do things whether consciously or unconsciously they can say or do things that really push our buttons and cause us to become angry or mad or resentful or hurt. And when we're feeling this way, we're certainly not in a position when this when this emotion is controlling us. We're certainly not in a position to be able to handle the situation with power. Uh, I, I start out the book by asking the question from the sages: Who is a mighty person? And the answer is that person who can control their own emotions and make of an enemy or of a potential enemy a friend. So it's not that I'm saying to not be emotional. Uh, you know, again, we, we are what we are. We're human beings. But it's important important that you are in control of your emotions. Your emotions are your servant, not your master. Uh, again, my, my friend Dondi Scumacci, I, I love what she says about this. She says, by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. So it sounds to me like if you're in control of your emotions, that there is a positive impact in all areas, not just in business or life, the relationships. It's... it's Easier said, I guess, all-inclusive. It, it has an impact oh, in every aspect. Oh, sure. And the person who, you know, and the person who has a challenge with controlling their emotions, which is something that I used to struggle with, once they learn, and I, I provide instruction in this book, how to, how to actually go from being an emotionally driven person to really being able to reset your personal default setting and be able to respond with, with calm as opposed to react with anger or upset. Once you do that, your personal effectiveness in life and business it absolutely goes through the roof. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. In principle two, you, you talk about the clash of belief systems. Um, you know, what, what do you mean by belief systems and, and how does that apply to, to me, for example? Well, a belief itself is simply a subjective truth. It's the truth as you understand the truth to be, or as I understand the truth to be. So in other words, it's, it's your truth or it's my truth. It's not necessarily the truth. As human beings, we are run by a belief system 
really an operating system uh, that has been pretty much handed to us. It's a combination of, of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, uh, popular culture, cultural mores, everything we touch, taste, hear, see, smell. Um, but the interesting thing about this is that it's set pretty early. By the time we're little more than toddlers, our basic belief system or operating system is pretty much set in place. It's the, the basic premise from which everything else will, will fit into those, that, that belief system. And we are unco- We certainly weren't, uh, weren't critical of what came to us. We were too young. We, we had no you know, filtering system. Everything that came in was basically accepted. So as adults, it's often the same thing with most people. We don't realize we're, you know, we're run by these unconsciously programmed beliefs and, and we act out of these. And so does, and here's the thing. So does the other person that this other person with, with whom we're about to have this potentially difficult interpersonal situation, they're also controlled and run by their set of beliefs, their belief system. Now, to add to that, as human beings, we tend to believe that everybody else sees the world the same way we see the world, through the same set of beliefs. How could it be any different, right? I mean, we only know what we, what we believe. This is why, Sean, you often hear people saying, oh, everybody feels that way, or nobody likes that, when that's not not true, necessarily true at all. Uh, you may have heard people say, or, or yourself may have said from time to time, I would never say that, or I would never do that to someone. No, you wouldn't, because that's not congruent with your belief system, but it is for others. Uh, and it, it was the day that I realized that finally, that my life changed, because I no longer expected people to have to act as I acted or to think as I think, or to say what I say. Uh, Now, when I say understand the clash of belief systems, I don't mean that you have to understand that other person's belief system. The chances are they don't actually understand their, their belief system. We simply have to understand that this person most likely sees their world very, or sees the world, excuse me, very, very differently than we do. And as long as we understand that, now we've created the context to be able to, to operate and, and have a win-win result. Thank you for that as well. That's fantastic. Principle number three, talk about uh, acknowledging ego or someone's ego. This sounds really important. It is because the ego, which of course is, is closely attached to emotion, the ego is a driver. People are driven by their, their emotions. And if we are in a situation with someone and this person is acting in a way that seems counterproductive, in a way that's maybe not polite in a, you know, a way that's nasty or unhelpful or even in a way that's not even helping themselves. We need to understand, we need to acknowledge their ego. Now, when I say acknowledge their ego, I don't mean uh, verbally saying, hey, buddy, your ego. You know, it's, no, that would have the opposite result. I simply mean acknowledging that their ego has probably come into play and is running their operating system. Okay, and as long as we understand that, now we can adjust what we say and do accordingly, knowing that it's really not their 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 logic at work, but it's their it's their emotion based ego. That's really interesting. That's that's a, a great tool to be able to to be aware of that. Number yes, four. that's why that's why acting out of consciousness is so important. This is true. Being being aware, being engaged. Uh, that's that's fantastic. Number four, you talk about uh, setting the proper frame. Please tell us, what's a frame? 
Well, a frame is simply the uh, foundation from which everything else evolves. Uh, I tell the story in the in the book that I was in a at a Dunkin' Donuts uh, store, and there was a, a little boy, little toddler, probably two, two and a half, and he was walking around the the store, and he was walking toward his parents when he all of a sudden took a spill on the floor. He just he kind of fell, and yeah, you could tell he didn't fall hard. He wasn't hurt, but he was he was definitely surprised. He he intuitively knew that that wasn't supposed to happen, so he immediately looked at his parents for their interpretation of the event. See, what happened happened. What he wanted to know is what's next. <laughs> and of course, he's looking at the, the people he would trust to, to give him that, that information, his mom and dad. Now, I really believe, Sean, that had his parents reacted uh, you know, with, oh no, oh, you must be hurt, oh, my poor baby, are you all right? He would have gotten upset and probably started to cry. But his, his parents handled it absolutely beautifully they they smiled and they they clapped you know they applauded they said oh what a good trick that looks like so much fun and and so you know he took that cue right and and he started to to laugh and he had fun what the parents did what the mom and dad did was they set a productive frame from which he could operate and that's really what we do whenever we come across someone and we smile and we have a, uh, we say hello and, and, or, you know, or, or if we're in a conversation with someone and someone walks in, we open up our body language to set the frame that they're welcome into the conversation. You know, it's when we have to talk to the manager of a place uh, and, and, you know, that person may be coming from an adversarial frame because they're used to being yelled at, right, whenever people need to speak to them. But instead, what we do is reset the frame from negative to positive. We, we take a step over with our hand outstretched. We smile and we say, hi, Mr. Johnson, Bob Burke. Thank you so much for taking time to come out and see me. I know you're very busy. Boom. Now you've just set that frame as someone who, wow, you know, this is, you're now, you're, you're now the kind of person they want to please. They want you as a customer. Absolutely. Um, th- this is really great information, and I, and I want to thank you for spending some time with us. We're going to keep going here a little bit, but this is, this is fantastic. Thank you. Num- very welcome. Number five, you talk about um, communicate with tact and empathy. Please share with us what, what your thoughts were, you know, with respect to, to this and how that impacts the, uh, the whole process that we're discussing, adversaries and allies. Sure. Well, tact is really, and my dad has always defined tact, is the language of strength. I believe that tact is a way of being able to correct someone, critique someone, dare I say, constructively criticize someone. Not, not that we ever want to do that, but you know, remember, Sean, we're talking about the real world, not a make-believe world. And there are times we need to be able to teach, whether it's an employee or a family member or a committee member or, or whomever. But what TACT allows us to do is to do it in such a way that not only is that person not defensive and not resistant to us and to our idea, but they're open to us and our idea. And we know that they, they need to be open to us first before they're going to be open to the idea. As I often say that, you know, all things being equal, people will do business with, refer business to, and allow themselves to be influenced those people they know, like, and trust. Tact and empathy create that setting for it. Well, let me ask you this. And this is kind of interesting. Can utilizing tact and empathy I don't know, really get us out of, for example, a traffic ticket? 
Well, it can, um, and I can't tell you how many people have have you know through the years because I've I've actually taught this at live events have emailed me to thank me for you know for giving them the not just the language but the whole attitude to to be able to make this happen, and it's all based on respect, genuine, authentic respect for the police officer, uh, utilizing tact and empathy. Um, uh, you know, the first thing, well, first of all, let's say we're talking about, you know, a speeding ticket or uh, let's put it this way. It, it won't work if you are intoxicated, obviously, uh, or, you know, or, nor should it. If you're driving recklessly and in, in, in to endanger, but it will work uh, usually if you're, you know, maybe you didn't come to that total complete stop uh, or, or you're going over the speed limit. Yeah, not, not fast enough that it's public enemy number one, but it's, it's still ticket worthy. And so if you handle it right, it usually will work. The first thing you would do is let's say you see the flashing blues in the background, you hear the siren, you pull over. And you come to a complete stop, obviously, and if it's at night, you put the inside car lights on. And you do this so that the officer, uh, oh, you put the car lights on, the inside lights on, and you put your hands on the 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock positions of the wheel and stay perfectly still as the police officer approaches the vehicle. Why? Because you're showing respect, you're showing empathy that while they're out there risking their life to protect and serve, you, you're, you know that the most, one of the most dangerous times for them on the job is when they approach the driver's side of a car. And so you're, again, you're just showing respect. Now, when they say, you know, do you realize you were going X, uh, you know, miles an hour or kilometers or, or what have you, uh, you don't lie. You say, yes, I, I do realize that. I apologize. Uh, now, if it's true, you may have said, you know, I didn't realize that until I heard the siren. I, I looked down immediately, and you're absolutely right. I, I was going that speed. Now, what you've done is you've, again, set yourself apart from everyone else. They're used to hearing every lie and every excuse. They don't believe any of them. What you've done is you've been completely honest as well as polite. So, again, right there, there's a good chance they're going to let you off with a warning. But if you think you have to, to move this a little bit further, what you might say is, you know, officer, again, I totally apologize and take full responsibility. Uh, this isn't something I usually do, and I'm wondering if it would be appropriate if I could possibly uh, get away with just a warning this time. So what you've done is you haven't tried to fast talk or slick talk, but you, you framed it in such a way you gave him an out or a back door. You said, if appropriate, uh, if it would be possible to. So again, uh, this is what I call Berg's law of the out. The bigger the out or back door you give someone to take, the less they'll feel the need to take it because they don't feel threatened. They don't feel challenged. Uh, and again, you, you've set yourself up so you're probably going to get the ticket, um, the uh, warning rather than ticket. Now, the one more thing you can do if you feel you need to, and that is to simply use what I call the eight key words that will practically always move a person to your side of the issue, providing you've set it up with politeness and patience. And that is, uh, if you can't do it, I'll definitely understand. Again, you've shown respect. You've let them know that you, yes, while you'd appreciate it, they are more important than the you know than the the result itself. And again, you've you've done as perfect a job as you can do. And the chances are good that you're probably going to get out of the ticket. By the way, I, I first I learned the first part of this from a, a former state trooper, and the rest of it was the you know was the principals involved in adversaries and adversaries into uh, allies. And it it works most of the time. So I assume by that statement, Bob, you've you've tested it, or should I be asking that? <laughs> uh, well, no, I'm ashamed to say. 
say that I have tested it on too many occasions, and, and it has <laughs> practically always worked for me. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that. I think a big part of that, as you were talking, what came to mind was authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, so often, and, and you know, I, I work with folks all over North America and abroad sometimes, and one of the things I hear, you know, if I, if I give back or I pay forward, um, I, I'm going to get more of what I think I deserve, and I think maybe that's the wrong reason to be, to be doing certain things. November 10th, 11th, and 12th, 2017 is going to change the way you see entrepreneurship, business, and wealth forever. Three days, world-renowned celebrity speakers and teachers, the best minds in the world. Mark it on your calendar. Here's a hint. It's all happening in sunny San Diego, California. Keep listening for more major surprises. What would being a best-selling author do for you and your business? Massive credibility, your brand launchpad, celebrity. Over two-thirds of Americans want to write a book. Get yours published now and distribute it around the world. More exposure means more prospects. More prospects means more clients. Even better, you don't have to do it all alone. You've got the leading publishing and marketing team doing it with you. At Results Press, it's easier than you dreamed. Visit us today at theresultspress.com. Like you, I share a passion for animals, and you uh, you talk about a stray cat that uh, that you adopted, or perhaps she adopted you. Uh, she was resistant at first, and the way you were able to win her over, you actually you devoted a chapter in your book, and you credit one very key principle. Uh, I'd really love if you'd share that with us, and whether it, yeah, I guess it works on humans as well. Yeah, well, what happened was she was. Um uh, she was a, a stray cat who was very. Uh, she was very scared of any of any human. And it, uh, when we when we saw her, she at first was so scared she wouldn't even eat if we were anywhere around. But as I would feed her every day, she would. Uh, as long as she didn't feel threatened, she would eat. You know, so I would stand far enough away. But what I would do is I'd bring the the bowl a little bit closer to my house. Uh, every and uh, and I'd make sure she could see me, but always saw that there was no threat. And eventually, after a couple of weeks doing this, till we got close enough to the house, I could act to come inside the patio, and she'd eat as long as the back door was left ajar, so she knew she had an escape route. Uh, then after that, it wasn't long before she would. Uh, I could put the the bowl right inside the uh, glass door, and as long as the the back door was open and the glass door was open, again, she she didn't have a problem. Now, uh, by this time, I was really falling in love with this little cat, and so I I wanted her to be my cat. I wanted to be her human, so I wanted to get her used to coming into the house to eat. So what I did at one point was start to close the door, the uh, glass window door, and as I started to close it, she all of a sudden turned around and looked for that escape route, but what I did is I right away I opened the door even further and she was fine she she realized again that she would she could escape that she had a back door or an out and she was fine and then after that I slowly closed the door behind her and she was fine after that she you know became really a member of the family and came in the house at night and uh, you know just hung around and slept in the house and so forth and so on so uh, it really is that principle 
And it's the same in sales. You know, if you make this prospect feel as though they're being forced to buy, they're going to be resistant. They're going to look for a, they're going to look to get out of it. Or even if they buy, they're not going to be happy with it. They may rescind. They're not going to feel good about the experience. But if you, you know, create the environment where they feel good about you, they know you, they like you, they trust you, they understand there's value in the relationship, but they have a back door so that they know it's their choice. See, when you give someone the out, you don't give someone the out or back door in order for them to take it. You give it to them so that they will feel comfortable enough with you and the situation that they don't feel the need to take it. That's fantastic. Thank you. You tell a, a great little story about your dad and you talk about how much character has to do with our ability to influence. Would you share that with us, please? Yeah, well, really, when we think of, uh, you know, of, of being influential, uh, in many ways, we think it's, you know, that what we say is important, and it is. I mean, there's, you know, uh, what we say is important, but it's probably the least important when it comes to what we have to offer. Uh, more importantly, of course, is what we do, but even more importantly is, is who we are. And who we are, I believe that's where character comes into play. Uh, character itself, by the way, comes from an old Greek word for scrape or scratch. It came to mean an engraved marking and eventually a defining quality, perhaps more uh, accurately, the sum total of all one's qualities is there defining quality or, or character. And with people of character, you tend, they tend to stand for something. And with people of character, you tend to know where they stand, which is why they are so powerful and why they are so influential. And one of the, you know, one of what I call my favorite dad stories was when I was about, I guess I was probably 10 years old. My folks were having new carpet installed in the house. And so at, at lunch, you know, for lunch, they bought pizza for the, the crew. And there was a, a crew chief who was kind of a, a nice guy, but a real rough around the edges kind of, kind of guy. And so when my dad uh, went over to, to bring him uh, the pizza and, and check on the job, the guy, you know, kind of wanted to do some male bonding. And, you know, my dad is a, he, he's, he's really, his background was from the street, from the inner city, uh, uh, you know, an immigrant slum type of Americana uh, type of, type of background. So people, everybody, it seems feels they can relate to dad. He's just one of these people. He's, he's the most, uh, in, uh, he's a person who, when it came to people skills, it was just natural for him. And I think it's natural. It was natural for him still is to this day. I think it was because he genuinely cared about people. He genuinely cared about bringing value to others and, and people knew. And anyway, so, so the boss in order to establish a bond did what he probably did all the time. And that is, he said something like, uh, well, Mr. Berg, uh, this is a pretty expensive job. Those, you know, uh, those women will really spend our money, won't they? And, you know, so it was one of those, yeah, joking around things that men do, uh, uh, about their spouse, which you know, I never thought that was a particularly respectful thing, but, um, but uh, my dad, when he answered it, he said he just went, uh, well, you know, when they're the reason you are where you are, it's it's your pleasure to be able to do anything you can for them. So uh, that wasn't the answer that the crew boss expected to hear. He expected for my dad to say, oh, yeah, yeah but that wasn't going to happen. There's no way. Now, my dad would not be insulting to the crew boss, but he would teach by 
by answering correctly and, and showing that a real man speaks about his wife in respectful, edifying tones. And so the, you know, the crew chief was a little bit taken aback, but he tried one more time. You know, he said, well, but they really will, uh, you know, play off that, won't they? And, you know, dad said something like, well, you know, she's the best thing that ever happened to me. She was there with me before, uh, you know, and believe me, anything she wants me to do, it's my pleasure, you know, like that. And so it, it was, it was really kind of a funny thing because, I knew that's not what the crew chief wanted to hear, but that's what he got. <laughs> and and, it, and I don't know if it taught him a lesson as far as how a real man speaks about his, his wife, but I know it taught a 10-year-old boy the power of edification and staying true to your values and staying true to your character. Thank you, Bob. Your, your dad sounds like an amazing man, and so Thank are you. you. Congratulations on the new book. Thank you for spending some time with us. Tell me something. How can those uh, wonderful folks that are, that are listening today learn more about where to find uh, your books? Well, if they come to Berg.com, B-U-R-G.com, there's a graphic of the book, Adversaries and Two Allies, and they can click on that, and it will take them to a page where they can uh, download Chapter 1 of the book to see if they like it, then they can click through if they'd like or, or get it at their local booksellers. And while they're on the site, they can connect with me on social media, check out my blog. They can check out our Go-Givers International Business Builders uh, membership site, membership community. So we invite them to come to Berg.com and, and hang out for a while. Thank you very much. It has truly been an honor and a privilege to, uh, to spend the last half an hour, 40 minutes uh, chatting with you. The information is fantastic. Your book, I've had the, the privilege to read it, is outstanding. The information is amazing. And um, I look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Well, I do too. I thank you so much for having me on the, on, on the call. It's been a, a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Have an amazing day, Bob. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on Results Radio. Every show, we bring you the very best guests that share with you their experiences and expertise. Do whatever you have to do to join us for our next show. And visit us today at yourresultsradio.com. While you're there, get your copy of the Results Journal. Results Journal.